Um, you know, over the years I've attended a number of such conferences, uh, but I have yet to experience a pastor's conference uh, where included in the focus was the topic of preparing for retirement. I'm sure they've been out there. I haven't experienced them. Uh, but pastors are like everyone else. We need to prepare financially for that day where we can no longer work, perhaps not strong enough or healthy enough. Uh, but I don't recall hearing a message even from John MacArthur or Alistair Begg, uh, anyone, about a pastor needing to save. Um, once again, it became a little surprised the topic was not covered during this conference. That's not a, cr- a criticism, but an observation. Because, folks, unlike Chuck Swindoll, uh, most of us aren't going to keep preaching until we're 84 years old. We'll never enjoy residual income book sales. Uh, most small churches can't even perpetually provide a position for a pastor just to preach, you know, as he ages. Um, and I hope that most of us here could agree that a financial plan that relies solely on the future of Social Security, uh, that's not a real good strategy for our generation. So it'd just be unwise, unwise for me to suggest that Christians should embrace a belief that one should never save. Uh, because the Bible surely does not teach that. Proverbs 6 warns, Go to the ant, O sluggard, observe her ways, be wise. Then says the ant prepares her food in the summer and gathers her provision in the harvest. Ants diligently work and store in anticipation of future needs, as should we. You may also be surprised to learn that even in the Levitical priesthood, That mandated an early retirement. Listen to how the law reads in Numbers 8, verse 24. This is what applies to the Levites. From 25 years old and upward, they shall enter to perform service in the work of the tent of meeting. But at the age of 50 years, they shall retire from service in the work and not work any more. Now, folks, that's a retirement. The law provides both an economic provision and a requirement for early retirement. And as I've stated on previous occasions, um, a significant responsibility of the Levites it was to prepare animal sacrifices, to harness them, to hoist them, to, to quarter them. Folks, they essentially functioned as butchers. And if you've handled a diversity of livestock, as many of us have, I agree, that's, that's physically demanding work. And that's a young man's game, no doubt about it. In addition, the Levites were require, required to carry all of the supplies, all of the furnishings for the tabernacle, the tent of meeting. So much of their work was very physically demanding. Folks, standing and ministering to God day after day, the same sacrifices that can never take away sins, that's really hard work, folks. Really hard work. Praise God, we have been sanctified. We have been made holy through the sacrifice of Christ's body, He having offered one sacrifice for sins for all time. The work is finished. 
Today would be a good time for you to stop striving in your works to please God and to trust in the blood sacrifice of Christ. But in Israel, at 50 years old, the Levite would retire and from that point forward were allowed only to assist their younger brothers in the tabernacle. So, having recently turned 50 years old myself, I have made my plans for retirement from flag football. (laughs) This year I will be retiring from flag football. The game will go on and there will be a team mounted against Pastor Weiler. It will happen. Coaching. Coaching. This is war, Tom says. Tom, we are preparing. Um, As for the pastorate, though, that remains unclear. But Rita and I, we're taking steps to save for an eventual retirement. I'd strongly encourage everyone to set aside and save. There's nothing super spiritual about retiring broke. And I don't believe our passage today can be interpreted to suggest Christians should just have faith and never put anything away. When there's so many passages like Proverbs 21-20, which advise us the wise store up treasure and olive oil, but the fools gulp theirs down. So our passage today should not be distorted uh, to imply we should never put anything aside. It should not also be uh, manipulated to suggest Christians should never update to a more reliable automobile or remodel a bathroom or even take a vacation. What it denounces, folks, is warehousing. Warehousing an excess of abundance to the point you don't even have to any longer rely on God. And remember that Jesus had just stated Back in verse 15, beware and be on your guard against every form of greed. For even when one has an abundance, his life does not consist of his possessions. And I read to you that entire passage last week. Uh, We learned that greed and covetousness, it's it's a heart of, of longing for having more, for receiving more, for gathering more for wanting more. Uh, Beware, Jesus said, if you have a heart that's never satisfied, if you're just never satisfied, we are to beware. Today he's going to tell us to beware of a heart that is not generous. One that is not generous. And and such a heart could reveal itself in many ways. It could be manifest, manifest in large bank reserves, huge estates, material collections of every type and kind, all types of storehousing stuff. I was just talking to Kevin and Judith here in the corner before before the service, and, and they are living on a boat. They've gotten rid of a lot of their past that they've had, and of course you live on a lot less. And they're they're sharing their joy in just the relief of not having to care for so much. As we were discussing last week, less is really better. To have less is really better. Less to worry about, which we'll discuss next week. Um, Jesus warned not to acquire more, but to be generous. Um, 1 Timothy 6, verse 8 tells us we should be sufficient. Uh, 
We should feel sufficient with food and covering. We should be content. But those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a snare, many foolish and harmful desires which plunge men into ruin and destruction. Ruin and destruction. Such a heart could reveal itself in many ways. As I said, some of you probably heard recently about the pastor, and I'm going to put that word in quotes, pastor, up in the Carolinas who recently bought his wife a $200,000 Lamborghini SUV. And then after some criticism, imagine that, Mr. John Gray supplies a, a long videotape justification citing sources beyond ministry for the purchase. Those like the Oprah Network. Well, there should be a red flag there. And he declares how his wife deserved the best for their 8th anniversary. He said, quote, Nobody's going to tell you, meaning himself, nobody's going to tell you how to bless your wife, he said. If I had bought myself a mid- my wife a mid-sized car, they wouldn't have said nothing. But because I fought to give her the best I could, people have to say something. And he suggested that since the money used to purchase the SUV, it wasn't from his pool that was earned in ministry, then it must be okay. Which, by the way, suggests to the people that go to his church that the money that he earned through ministry is more holy than money that is earned elsewhere. Which permits the congregation or the congregant, excuse me, congregant to conclude their salaries earned in real estate or in banking or in the medical field or in farming can be used for anything that their hearts desire. Such bizarre, lavish behaviors of professing Christians, folks, it demands a biblical response. This passage is the response. And if pulpits don't speak... Christians will conclude all this behavior, well, it just must be okay. It's not okay. Lavishness, greed, opulence, storing up treasure on earth. It's not acceptable for a pastor or any Christian to model to others. Do not store up your treasures on earth is Christ's command, not his suggestion. As I've already stated, Christians, you know, we're not required to take a vow of poverty. We're not required to live like monks. And, and the probably, problem in the parable wasn't that the man had a few reserves tucked away. It's that his heart wanted to continue storing more and more excess for himself. So Jesus begins the parable in verse 16 of Luke chapter 12. He said, The land of a rich man was very productive. Notice he was already rich. Already rich. And in verse 17, he began reasoning to himself, saying, Oh, what shall I do? For I have no place to store all my crops. The Greek verb translated reasoning means to dialogue. This man was actually talking to himself. Seeking advice from within, rather than seeking out the wisdom of God. And in verse 18, We read the predictable reply from an unregenerate heart. 
Then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns. I'll build even bigger ones. There I'll store all my grain and my goods. He he had so much excess. So much more than he really needed. Let's just be truthful. He was already rich. Everything that he got that season, everything he got that harvest, it was all excess. Everything was excess. He didn't really need any of it. And and he chooses to store all of this excess, all this treasure in barns on earth. On earth. And the passage reveals a catastrophic error of the prosperity gospel. Does the fact that this man is rich and now experiences receiving even more, a lot more, suggests that his heart is right with God? No. Financial fortune, regardless of its source, could be an inheritance, it could be a successful business, it might be wise investments, but they can't serve as reassurance that you're right with God. They can't make you know that he approves of your behavior, what you're doing, um, nor does it affirm you have any relationship with him. Uh, Here's an important note, and if you don't listen to anything else today, please pay attention to this. Promises to the nation of Israel expressed through the Old Covenant are not directly transferable to individual Christians today. Let me say that again. Promises to the nation of Israel as a whole expressed in the Old Covenant are not directly transferable to individual Christians today. It's common to hear false teachers stating things from Scripture. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. See if I won't open the heavens and bless you, they preach. First off, the tithing system, a component of the law, as we learned December 2nd, if you want to go back and review that message, was binding upon Israel in the law, not the church. And the giving of the tithes, the three of them, which added up, we discovered at that time, an average of 23 and a third percent annually for Israel, it was the mandatory minimum, folks. It never indicated a generous heart. It was required giving. Never indicated a heart that was generous and alive to God. Under the Old Covenant, to, to receive the continued blessing of God and, re, uh, and remain in the land, Israel was required to offer tithes of the produce of the land in order to remain in the land. They did not do so well. What happened? God took them out of the land. They did not obey the covenant. Uh, But folks, they were also commanded to reside in the land. But I never hear false teachers calling for all Christians to migrate to Israel. Why not? Because the church is not Israel. Therefore, be wary of any preacher that's selective of old covenant requirements made of the nation of Israel especially if they're not specifically restated to Christians in the New Covenant. Christians can't selectively claim promises that were made to the nation of Israel and apply them to their individual self, unless 
They are restated in the New Testament. Principles are passed from the Old Testament to the New Testament all the time. He who scatters little will harvest little, right? He who reaps sparingly, you're going to reap sparingly. You sow bountifully, you will reap bountifully. General principles that are restated in the New Testament. Likewise, the prosperity of an individual, it's never been an assurance that they're right with God or that they're blessed by God. Folks, Nebuchadnezzar was extre- excuse me, extremely wealthy. Pharaoh, extremely wealthy. Today, Bill Gates, Miley Cyrus, Beyonce, all extremely wealthy, but they have not experienced salvation through Christ. Their money indicates nothing. So wealth's never been an assurance of God's favor, for Scripture assures that God has chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith. That's what the New Testament assures us. And it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to get into heaven. So this man with the parable, he's not right. He's not right with God, yet he was rich. Not only was his rich, was he rich, his business just experienced a big boon of bumper crop, more wealth. So wealth and health, they're not indicators of blessing. They're not indicators of salvation. Do you remember what is an indicator of blessing and salvation? came from December chapter six, or December 2nd as well. We discovered it. A generous heart. A generous heart made alive to God. Regardless of what your income is. Regardless of what your home looks like. Regardless of what brand car you drive. A generous heart. A rich man's not generous. His heart's not alive to God at all. God doesn't even get included in the conversation. In fact, in verse 19, the man's still talking to himself. Still talking to himself. He says, And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have many goods laid up for many years to come. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. Again, his abundance is being stored up on earth, in barns, with the intent of benefiting who? himself for many years to come well now up until this point in the passage um many of us would probably like to be in the shoes of this man in the flesh most of us would like that life of ease that's why playing the lottery folks is so popular trying to secure a life of ease But does pursuing a life of ease motivate the person to be generous? Not at all. Instead of longing for ease, that attitude of longing for a future ease, it actually causes people to store up. Store up for themselves more and more on earth. No Christian here is called to store up for a life of ease. We're called to be rich towards God today, folks. Not ease in the future. Rich towards God today. i got to say, and I, I, I mean this with, 
with respect in many ways. This is one thing Dave Ramsey gets entirely wrong, folks. Entirely wrong. He suggests if we live frugally, like nobody else today, then we'll be able to live in ease like nobody else tomorrow. And give more to God tomorrow. The problem is this parable is ensures to us we're not promised tomorrow. We have no certainty of tomorrow. All we know is today. And we can't serve both God and mammon today. It's all about today. And I appreciate many things about Dave Ramsey. Many things. Don't squander your youth. Work hard. Don't buy what you don't need. Avoid consumer debt. Many other good principles. But by asking people to focus on today, or uh, on saving today to become generous at some point later in the future, folks, this passage does not teach that. And in reality, I know the flesh. I've experienced it as much as anyone else here. Most of his listeners aren't storing up to give to God later. Doesn't mean all, but most. Instead, many are filling their barns while setting their sights on a life of ease ahead for many good years to come of eating and drinking and being merry, playing golf, lying around on the beach, taking vacations rather than being rich towards God. We each need to search our own heart when we're saving about what our goal is in the future. Um, It's rather amazing how idleness, it's become one of the greatest virtues of our culture. Idleness. Instagram, just full of pictures of lifestyles of the rich and famous. Photos of Rich people on yachts and on the beach under an umbrella sipping a drink with some fruit in it. A life of ease, eating and drinking and just being merry. It actually looks quite noble, doesn't it, to the flesh? Oh, that's what I should pursue. But do you know where a life of idleness takes you? We touched on this a little bit last week. Leads you into sin. It leads you into sin. A life of ease is one of the worst things that can happen to you. I don't know the stats, but ask 99% of the people who win the lottery what it does to them. It doesn't matter whether you're rich or poor. The rich man who retires too young quickly can become bored with life. Instead of waking early to, to go out and strive with the rest of the men, he lies around napping till midday where he sets upon his eyes a woman undressed, taking a bath on a housetop. Who am I talking about? No, not King David and Bathsheba. (laughs) But the man lusting upon the woman on Netflix, folks, lying around till midday, taking late naps, watching cable TV, worse yet, the internet, Because he's saved up to the point there's really no reason any longer to turn off the TV and get out of bed. And he can finally say, you know what, I've achieved the life of ease. 
And now I've got too much time on my hands. Sung by Sticks, by the way. Too much time on my hands. And if you would have merely given more to God, as he went along, he would have then had a motivation to keep on working. It doesn't only apply to men. It includes younger widows, too. The Apostle Paul says that they learn to become idle, then busybodies, gossips, talking about things not proper to mention as they burn with sensual desires. What's Paul's remedy to that, by the way? 1 Timothy chapter 5. Um, Get married, bear children, keep house. In other words, work. Stay busy. The Proverbs 31 woman, she does not eat the bread of idleness. Our children are not immune. Our prosperous culture of just excess. We have so much excess. Our prosperous culture allows them to live at home indefinitely rather than getting out to work, work hard with their hands. The system, the government system, allows people to indefinitely consume the bread of idleness. They don't have anything else to do. It's one of the reasons, though there are many, many good things and well-intentioned things in the welfare system. Um, And I would not do away with it. I would probably like to see some changes to it. But far too often it allows people to sit around and not work hard with their hands. And it's part of the reason that we have so many unwed mothers and fathers. They've got too much time on their hands. And they're finding ways to fill that time that are led into sin. Um, The reason Scripture condemns a life of ease, a life of idleness, one of the greatest virtues of our culture is because of regardless of age, regardless of financial status, it eases the slide into sin. There are a number of valid reasons to retire early. There are health conditions, situations, sometimes a sick family member we need to care for. Some have a discipline to use their early retirement to serve the kingdom of God, to serve Christ and His church. There's certainly valid reasons to retire early. But this passage suggests if your goal is idleness, if that's the goal, a person who retires too early stored up their treasure on earth, if you've achieved that, you've failed to be rich towards God. You've saved it up for yourself. To such a person, God says, you fool. This very night your soul is required of you, and now who will own what you've prepared? Sound like Solomon in Ecclesiastes? So is the man who stores up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Well, I'm preaching to myself here. He could have sent it all ahead and stored that treasure in heaven and it would have been waiting there. But he was so determined to retire early and enjoy a life of ease that he stored it up in barns on earth. And in that process, it's all going to be left behind. In 1 Timothy 6, verse 7, Paul writes to Timothy, For we brought nothing into the world, so we cannot take anything out either. 
If we have food and covering with these, we shall be content. But those who want to get rich, they fall into temptation and a snare and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil, and some by longing for it have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. But flee from these things, you man of God. Paul told Timothy, flee from the desire to get rich. Timothy was a young pastor in the church at Ephesus, and and he was to teach the man or the woman of God that you're not to cultivate a longing to become rich. Why? Probably because there comes a real risk with that that you might actually achieve it. It would be much wiser to cultivate a generous heart, one that trusts God for the future, the one who trusts God for tomorrow and gives the excess away. Folks, if you want to summarize the warning in this passage, it's this simple. Do not bank on tomorrow. Be generous today while you still have time. And the progression of this narrative, it's just so incredibly practical. I just, I just love this. Last week, do not be greedy. This week, don't fill your barns to excess. And next week, do not worry. Don't worry about tomorrow. Be generous today. What we're going to learn next week. And folks, as we close... We all need to heed just this, this continuing instruction that Paul gives to, to young Timothy in the Christian church. His instruction is this. Paul writes, Instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited or to fix their hope upon the uncertainties of riches, but on God, who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. Instruct them to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share storing up for themselves the treasure of a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is life indeed. Riches, uncertain. Tomorrow, uncertain. Today, be generous. Next week we'll be taught not to worry about either one, riches or tomorrow, because our future lies completely in the hands of God. <laughs> Does this forbid putting something away for retirement? No. Of course not. What was it given to prevent Christians from, from trying to have a three or six month emergency fund? Another piece of wisdom there from Dave Ramsey? No doesn't prohibit that it's given to remind christians that our aspirations for tomorrow the longing for a life of ease that will compete against our service to christ today christ warns you fool you cannot serve god and mammon let's pray